I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison, and today we have part two of Andy's Scottish adventure, our recap of Andy Johnson's first visit to Scotland and the home of golf. In part one, we talked about Andy's experiences last month at Muirfield, Gullen, and Ely. On the docket for this episode are North Berwick Golf Club and the Old Course at St. Andrews, as well as two lesser-known but fantastic courses in the East Lothian region, Dunbar and Killspindy. Here, of course, to discuss all of this with me is Andy Johnson himself. Andy, how's it going? I'm doing great. I'm excited to uh, to talk about something that brought me immense joy this year uh, again, Scotland, uh, and not talk about the dominant story in golf uh, that we've we've had to talk about a lot this year because uh, with uh, geopolitics and lawsuits involved with it. So very excited to talk about Scotland, relive some of the memories uh, from a few weeks ago that that brought me home to America on a, a golf high. Yeah. Are, are you saying that talking about playing golf in Scotland is more fun than talking about the uh, lives attempted takeover of professional golf? Is that what you're saying? It, it it just it brings fuzzier memories about you know I I think it's it's fun to talk about all things uh, with golf and it's obviously like I think live is like the biggest story in golf in a long time and uh, it's huge but yeah talking about golf in Scotland and and the culture over there and the the courses is uh is it's a little bit more fulfilling in a way yeah so we're gonna start by talking about North Berwick the West Links at North Berwick. I'm actually not aware of the East Links at North Berwick. Is there an East Links? Yeah, I think there is. I saw signs when we were driving through town. But uh, the other thing they have is a really cool putting course. And, you know, I've I've historically kind of been out on putting courses. Um, I think it's like kind of a silly, silly thing for like clubs to do. And, you know, they're really expensive. But then I saw a putting course in a town effectively that and it was just packed with kids and you know in the middle of the day we drove by it's a summer day and you could just see all the families from the town out there with their kids putting and and I was like wow like a putting course in a town I'm in on that now a putting course at a at a private club with gates and you know I think that's a, a very little used seldom used facility for an Im- immense expense but putting courses in towns that anybody can walk up and use I'm in on that and that's one of the things that North Berwick has that probably gets little talked about you know the putting course and my other favorite thing and we'll get to the golf course the golf course obviously I, I'm not breaking any news here to say it's fantastic incredibly fun golf course to play must see in Scotland like you know I'm extremely happy I went and saw North Berwick you know that but one of the most my favorite things about walking up to North Berwick is the two like hitting nets right by the the pro shop they're just like there's no range, right? It's just like two like 
AstroTurf mat hitting nets. And I love it. Like, this is a place that had women's open qualifying. They don't have range. This is, a, this is the way to your heart, not having a driving range, taking up good land at a, at a golf course. Yeah. Like, in America, they would probably have, like, changed. And I think they do have a range, actually, way in the back of, of North Berwick, now that I think about it. But by the first tee, there's not... Like, they did not disturb the golf course to pigeonhole a range that was convenient for people to get to. The range is, like, way set in the back. You can tell it was added another time. And no disturbance to the course happened. But, like, that's all you need. All you need to do is take a couple swings. Like, especially for a golf course like this that's just, like, you know, a a community hub. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played with a, a, a member, Ian Galbraith. He was a great guy. One of the other things that stood out to me, especially with with America, like with, a, you know, I'm playing North Berwick, one of the greatest courses in the world. In America, you go to a private club and the guest fees, when you play with a member, have just gotten completely out of hand. There are courses that are charging like $450 guest fees. And it's like, what? Like I'm a member here and when I bring a guest out, is $400 like what what I guess the point of being at the club is that you could you could you know bring guests to this great place but $400 and you know it's like what are we doing like you know the maintenance budgets and all these things have gotten so absurdly high that guest fees are insanely high to to justify these like $20 million renovations $4 million maintenance budgets right at North Berwick, one of the greatest courses in the world, the guest fees. We had three guests. We were playing with a member. 45 pounds for the three of us. 15 pounds a person. That's different. I mean, and this is the benefit of not having closed off clubs, right? Allowing, uh, you know, like obviously the guest fee, if you're not playing with a member, I think is close to 200 pounds. But. Like, this is the benefit to having a few hours a day where you open up your gates, right? <laughs> then, like, I'm a member. I don't have to charge. I don't have, I don't get charged $1,200 when I want to bring three guests out. And that doesn't include caddies or anything else. Well, well, just the, the whole thing that you're describing here, a private course that is woven into its community in this way is sort of a foreign concept in America. I mean, we have some great public courses that are sort of uh, intimately related to their towns, but it's pretty rare that a private course is kind of understood as a, uh, a local asset. And, and something famously that happens at North Berwick is that people are walking their dogs right along the golf course, right? That's, you know. Yeah. I mean, so we were out there obviously early to, to shoot photos and video. Um, and the place was just like a dog park in the morning before play went off. Like everybody, there were so many dogs. Like I was flying the drone and dogs were just running up and sniffing me. Like that's that's the thing. It, it literally is the ground that people walk their dogs on. And I think this happened in America for a little while during COVID. Like a lot of clubs opened up their gates to to allow people to walk their dogs on. And it's just this idea of a place being part of the town and you see it like one of the neatest things about North Berwick is when you're in, and this is similar to St. Andrews is when you're playing back to the town and you see the town really lining and in it, you know, you go out into the farmland 
you know, and out like away from everybody. And then you come back and in North Barracks, a really neat little town, um, you know, a great town to stay in. If you were going to do a trip to East Lothian, I think Gullen's a little bit sleepier, a little bit quieter, a little bit more, maybe centrally located to a lot of the courses like, you know, but North Barrack is 10 minutes down the road and, and a really, a, a little bit more vibrant of a town. So there's more going on in North Barrack, but it's a really great town. There's a great lobster, uh, spot that we went to like a seafood shack uh right on in the piers that we went to for lunch one day that was uh delightful uh and so anyways the golf course as everybody you know <laughs> i'm not breaking any news here is it's a tremendously fun place to play you know it has that out and back type of routing that is that is very popular in scotland it basically plays along the coast the entire way there it starts on the coast and then it almost kind of figurates off the coast and that happens at the fourth hole and then it turns back onto the coast on the back nine and then plays pretty much all the way from the really the until until the 16th the 16th hole from 10 through 16 you're playing along you're hugging the coast and it's just a spectacular golf course i think it's like one of those quintessential golf courses where you know, a great debate after the round isn't necessarily what the best hole is. That's a great debate also. But what's the weakest hole? And it's really hard to figure out what the weakest hole in North Berwick is. And that's why it's a, you know, beyond the spectacularness of its great holes, you know, it has some of the best holes in the world. It has no discernible, really weak holes. Well, let me give the people some information about the history of this course. This is one of those courses. And in fact, actually, all the courses we're discussing in this pod have this characteristic where they gradually evolved over the course of the 19th century, essentially. They weren't built by a single golf architect. You can't talk about this as the work of one golf course architect. There were certainly designers who made significant contributions to North Berwick including David Strath, Old Tom Morris, a few others a little bit later after Old Tom Morris. But the club was formed in 1832. By the end of the century, it had 18 holes and a decent amount of length. But for a while, it was not an 18-hole course. It just kind of kept expanding down the coast, and, and eventually it had 18 holes. It's maybe the most famous, North Berwick, most noted for providing design inspiration to various 20th century golf architects. Maybe this is primarily its reputation in America, but the pit hole, the 16th green, the Redan, these are holes that are kind of part of the common nomenclature of golf course architecture in America. They, they provided direct inspiration to CB McDonald, and they are kind of part of the vocabulary that you learn when you start learning about golf course architecture. I think of North Berwick as kind of the patron saint of quirky golf course design. It has a lot of holes that that just kind of beg to be adapted and played with and put on other golf courses. And, you know, it, it just has that sense of play and fun about it, boldness, and again, that word quirk. What are some of the holes that stick out to you as being really representative of this course's excellence? Where would you go first? I, before we get into like the stretch of the back nine, which I think everybody will will talk about uh, for the most part, I think the way it starts gives you like a really nice 
uh, preview of what's to come. The first hole, you know, you have a completely blind, really, first shot to a green that's situated right on the coast. And you're, it feels like right off the bat, you're hitting to an unknown, which is going to be a common theme there where you're, you know, you kind of like are putting your faith in, in, okay, this is where I think we should hit it. And, and it's, it's a simple, like, it's like a, a long iron wedge shot. And then, you know, so like in the first hole, in the first three holes, it really gives you a nice representation of what to come. You have the blindness of one. On two, you two plays along the same corridor as 17. And here might be the best land at North Berwick. It's it's really choppy and rolling and that irregular and and similar to like the land between 16 and 2 at at the uh at the old course 16 and 3 at the old course like where it's like super choppy and and like irregular it's really neat and you're also playing you have a diagonal tee shot with the coast so it's kind of a it's a really great golf hole but like given where it is in the round people will never talk about it. it's really a cool hole and then the third hole you're playing like the the key theme of the third hole is the wall so you're getting a, you know, you're going to play with this wall later in the round. It's, it's showing you like, hey, the wall is part of part of this round. And it's funny because like you can hit a tee shot and the ball can bounce back off the wall. It could come right up to rest against the wall. Or Brendan, who we were playing with, Brendan Porath, hit one right through the small opening of the wall and ended up like past the wall and way down the fairway, which was really neat. So like. You get this wall, and there's a lot of blindness there, depending on where you relate in the fairway. I was over left; I couldn't see anything. You know, I, I just was like hitting it to to a field. And you know, with that third hole, one of the things I think that gets introduced there is a really great on the ground green, where you see this idea of like the green sites are kind of found, and then you put just grass over these small little dunes, and how cool the greens come out. Right. So you have this green that's got these little spines through it and it just sits right on the ground. So those three holes, while they get like kind of slept on and and probably aren't talked a ton about, really give you a nice introduction as to what the course and the themes of the course are going to be. What you said, that like kind of playful theme of of it's going to be this is not going to be your championship. Everything's in front of you day at the golf course. All right. So then let's talk about the back nine stretch. You said that's what everybody talks about. Why do they talk about that sequence of holes? Yeah, I mean, I mean so you, you turn on the 10th hole, which is a par three, and you're back on the coast. The ninth hole is a really cool par five. It's, um, but you turn on the 10th hole, and you, you go up on this tee box, and there's a great, great view of, of, uh, of the ocean. And you know, you're, you're there, and you, you, start your, you know you're coming home, right? And, you know, every hole along that that stretch. So you start with this par three. It's a really tough shot because of the wind and how exposed you are. Uh, but then the, the next hole is a par five that like hugs the dunes. So you're trying to you're fighting against the dunes, right? You want to hug that left side and the green kind of props up right on the edge there. It's a great par five like you. It's a really fun second shot if you hit a good tee shot. 
if you don't hit a good tee shot, then you have, it's a fun wedge shot because you can play it off that left edge and run it into the hole. But then I think the hole, so 13 is obviously the famous hole with the wall. The hole that gets a little overlooked is the 12th. And and this is might be just my personal preference. One of my favorite types of holes is your like mid-length to shortish. It's like a mid-length to shortish par four that plays up and over a ridge. So it's kind of like you're hitting and it's semi-blind. You can't see the green from the tee, but it plays over this small little rise. It dog legs to the left. And then at that point, I think it's one of the best reveals. You're walking over this hole, uh, over this ridge, and you're playing down to this green that's set right beautifully on the ground. It's a great green with a lot of little different pockets, and the coast is right behind you. Like it is a, you know, because of the theatrics that 13, 14, 15, 16 provide, this hole gets lost in the shuffle, but is, I think one that second shot into that green is one of, and I love those tee shots too. I, that's, it's one of my favorite looks of a hole, but that second shot into that green is spectacular. And one of the best spots in North at North Barrick. So the 12th hole, and then it starts the famous holes with, which I'm sure everybody's seen a picture of the pit hole. It's the, it's the short par four with the wall that bisects it, uh, that plays kind of on a diagonal across. The green is a small, long, narrow green that acts kind of as a punch bowl. But the whole idea is you can, you can drive it up there close. You can lay back. It's all a preference hole, how you want to play it. The thing you want to avoid is being right of the right of the green with the wall in front of you and a tucked pin on the right because then you have just a very impossible chip shot it is a you know it's cliche i feel like it's cliche to take pictures of this hole but it's just a really cool hole no matter what like you could you could see a million pictures of it it's the cliche thing to write about this is a cliche thing to talk about with north barrack but it is just such a, a phenomenal golf hole uh, it, from a strategic. It's just like a classic strategy. Does it occupy the best land at North Berwick? No. Is it the is it probably the best hole at North Berwick? No. But it is just a, a cool hole that you will see nowhere else in, in your life. And and I think one that a lot of short fours are adopted off of. Right. If you play, if you hug that left side short of the wall, that's going to give you your best angle into play. The more you play right and obviously left left of the wall is the coast. So you don't want to, you know, it's just this classic strategy hole. Well, uh, so one one point on the pit hole that I think is really interesting is that it has an a super narrow green. Yes. The green is a very narrow. That that's maybe the primary characteristic aside from where the wall is located, but the reason the wall has an impact is that the green is very narrow and runs flush against the wall. And I think that a narrow green that is angled in a particular direction that kind of points at the angle that would be most advantageous to take off the tee is a common feature among a lot of really memorable short par fours. So the sixth hole at Pacific Dunes, the 10th hole at Riviera, all of those holes, both of those holes, uh, as well as the pit hole, have narrow greens that angle in a certain direction and motivate you to play in that direction because you don't want to be in a situation where you're playing over a hazard to a really narrow landing area. So I think that's kind of the common genetic code of the short par four that this hole might represent, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it's amazing what like a little narrow green and and the way this narrow green works is that the whole everybody's hitting wedge into it. Yes, it's not like this green is so small. It is like everybody's hitting a wedge, so it's it's a very attainable hole for all golfers of all skills. And you know, watching I you know watching somebody hit that shot over the wall is is really thrilling. You know, it's just like a really fun moment. Brendan had like a little pitch over it and it just was fun. He almost made it. It was an incredible shot. Um, but like there's that that added element of like, you know, a wall walls. I don't understand why walls aren't more popular. <laughs> well, I, I think because you don't really want to build one. Because then it then it feels like a gimmick. That's true. But this wall, of course, is is ancient. It was just there. It was a found characteristic of the site, and they used it. But if you know, if you have somebody building stonework on a golf course, then you're going to kind of look askance at that, right? It's true. But walls are super cool. That's one of the, the things you learn uh, from from the bo- a couple courses that we talk about today. But then you go to 14, and that's obviously another one of the famous holes at, at North Berwick. It's, it's, it's called, called Perfection. Per- yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. But I just love that name for a, for a hole. It's so gutsy. Yeah. It, I mean, you, you're hitting up, and you're not really sure. Like, again, it's you're hitting less than driver. In a lot of places out here, um, I played with Persimmon all week, and you're a lot of places, even with that, you're hitting less than driver. Um, that would be one of the things like, I think that was a big takeaway is like, it's okay to have features that take drivers out of your hands. Like, you know, in here is that it's another iron shot to kind of the top. And then it's a blind shot into the green. It reminded me a little bit of Fisher's Island punch bowl hole, which everybody always like, you know, that's uh, always in the discussion of one of the greatest holes in America. And it, it reminded me a lot of, of this hole where, you know, you kind of the you can play to the left, and I think you can get a little bit a little bit of a, a view of what's going on. But really, you got to pay attention. And then, what's neat about this green is how it really like you basically play over this rise, right? And the bunkers are set into this rise, so you're playing uphill on your first shot, and then the second shot, everything cascades down into that green, and it's one of those shots where you. You have to mind your strike because you have to land it in the right spot short. Like you cannot fly this to the green or fly, fly this to the hole. You need to land it short of your target. You have to, you know, it's a, a guesswork hole and it kind of encompasses what this, this core, like a lot of people will play this hole and say, that's unfair. You can't see, I don't know how, but the more times you play it, the more you think about, okay, do I want to be on this side or this side for this pin? You know, because you'll be able to like, and the other thing is, you can see this green. You can see where the pin is earlier in the round. You walk right by it. So pay attention. You know, it's one of these great things about golf courses that, especially this, this is a town course. It's a town club. Smart players pay attention to these things. Oh, look and see where the pin exactly is. And then you'll start to know, okay, this is where I need to be the more times you go through it. Unfortunately, for, for most tourists, this is a one-time play. One of my, one of our, one of my big... You know, uh, I wish we had played this course twice. Uh, we had a kind of a a lucky, you know, uh, situation where we got to play the old course and we couldn't pass that up. But we had we had allocated all day for North Barrick when we plot, plotted it out. And the old course kind of 
popped in to that Tuesday afternoon instead of having another spin around North Berwick because I think one of the most fun things is like North Berwick is a golf course that you go around it and every single hole you're just like you're thinking god I wish I could replay that shot and do something a little bit different or I wish I would have tried to get it over here to to get it in here it's one of those courses that like you just you walk off it and you just want to go back and hit shots over again and the 14th is a perfect example that second shot you just think about like oh, I wish I could play that shot over again. Like, I wish I would have known I should have done this and this. And it's just at a really cool point in the, you know, that's kind of where you turn and you really feel like you've re-entered town is the other aspect of that hole is that the way it fits into the course is that that makes your kind of final jaunt back into the t- back into the town you have the par three redan next you have the 16th the short par four with the spectacular green and you're at that point you know you're firmly back in town but the 14th is kind of like your gateway back into town so the redan it's a little bit different than redans that people might be familiar with in america right or holes that we call Redan's now. I mean, what what we call a Redan now is kind of a diagonal green where you need to land the ball. You know, usually the green is running right to left, and so the idea is you should land the ball away from the pin to run it toward the pin. Or if you really want to take a risk, you can go right at it. But really, the the safe play is kind of going around those bunkers, slinging your ball from right to left. And so it's all about that diagonal angle. My understanding is that the North Barrick Redan is a little more straight on, like the the bunkers are are facing you a bit more. Or do I have that wrong? I think you have that wrong. And this was one of the holes that I was most excited to see, because when you look at it on pictures, it's really hard to understand it. Like you look at it and you're like, wait, where's the green and what are those bunkers? So those bunkers at the front of of the of the four of the fifteenth at North Barrack, those are just like imagine those are as obscured those bunkers just obscure your view. Mm-hmm. And one of the neat features of it is that it's an a, a a dune, clearly a rise that they put these bunkers into, and then there's a dip. So if you don't hit your ball well you're going to end up in between. It's almost like a valley in between the front of the green and those bunkers that you see from the tee. And then that green orients from right to left and and runs away. So it is on a diagonal. Same as same as a Redan. Same as any Redan. That, that look, one of the di- key differences from the Redans that I've played is that you don't get any visual of really the green from the tee. Those, you know, those bunkers that are set down in America, and you see that that great front and right to left, like I'm thinking of Chicago golf, right? Those bunkers are set down and dug into the ground, and then you see the magnificence of the green going right to left versus North Barrick, where those bunkers are set into a hill. You can't see the green, and then you get there's a dip, and then the green just kind of runs away naturally right to left. It's not built up or anything. So I think it's just an example of a hole that fits the ground perfectly. It is tremendous. Front pins are extraordinarily hard, obviously. you The front pin we had, like, you know, it, it makes it near impossible with the firmness to keep it 
up in the front. Like you have to hit a perfect golf shot, like a great golf shot. You're 20 feet past and down to the left. You, the last place you want to be is short. Um, with that, it really <clears throat> more so than American Redan's like plays to the strategy of like hit it long and pitch it back up is a great play. Um, at the at the 15th, like you're gonna walk away because of the severity of the green, you're gonna walk away so much better shape if you just hit it long and left and just chip it back up. You know, for the most part, uh, I missed short. I made one of the best up and downs of my life to get it to 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 get out there with a par. But like that is a shot that I never want again. Um, because it's it's just it's hard to explain how big that rise is, right? And it's funny because like that was the the hole that I just was like. I was like, God, you know, I've looked at pictures of this hole for like six years and I just can't understand what it is that is going on here. And so you have to play it. Yeah. So the next hole, the 16th hole, has one of those greens that you just have to take pictures of. It's called the gate hole and the green has a big trough through it and it has these kind of plateaus. Is this the real inspiration for for the Biarritz green? I I think this green is oriented differently to the hole. I don't know. I don't think so. Like the thing that stuck out to me about this hole, there were a couple things. Was a the little bump that's in front of the green. It's like a like a little roll that's just short of the green, and how that like really that feature you don't see a ton of photos of. It's like it comes in like basically ten, and it. It obscures, it makes that front of the green, makes it look like it's part of the front of the green, the way it's way it sits, but it's not, it's not an extension. It's, it's a really cool little feature and your ball, like the last thing you want your ball to do is to end up like, kind of like along it. Right. Cause then it just makes this really awkward shot. Uh, but that's where you want to play to, to get your pitch in. Cause that, that the way the angle, again, this is a short par four with a hard angled green a narrow hard angle green, just like the pit hole, except it's just the op it's kind of flipped. And in a way that feature kind of acts like the wall acts for the pit. Mm. It might be a buried wall for all, you know, that could be what it is. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing. There's a lot of buried walls out there, but this green, I don't think it's the inspiration for the beer. It's because the diagonal nature of it and then the diagonal nature of the trough. The trough is just like the angles of the way it sits. It's unbelievable. Like, I don't understand how they mow it. Like, it's got such sharp <laughs> angles to it. And it, I mean, this is a, 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 sh a hole that you could just sit and hit shots around the green for days. Like, going to the front of it and pitching a ball through or putting a ball through the trough to a back pin. We luckily got a back pin. I mean, hitting a wedge shot to that back pin is terrifying. You, you look at it and you say, oh, like, I have to hit this perfectly. A, a hole that's similar is the eighth hole at Sweeten's Cove. They have a similar green, and you can tell that's where they got their kind of inspiration for that hole is this hole. You have to hit just a, a perfect shot. It, you know, obviously, the front pin, it, it plays so much different to a front pin than a back pin. I think that's one of the big takeaways for this hole is the dynamic of like how a hole can change based off a pin. This one offers like 
you know, a front right pin is so much more friendly and welcoming than, you know, you can bounce a shot. It, like you can bounce a shot into any pin, but it's so hard to hit just the right shot to have it go through the gully and up to that back pin. And you have to be coming from the right angle to be there. You know, this is, uh, I think that the turf conditions also help this this whole because of the wide array where Sweeten's eighth doesn't work well is that it's got like soft, wet Bermuda and chipping around it becomes such like a laborious task, you know, chipping around that green. But but this hole, because of all the different shot options you have, you can you can go for a flop. You if you if you've got that open face lob wedge touch like you know where you get steep with it and and kind of just let the club drop on top of the ball like you if you can hit that shot that shot's available but you also have a wide array of bump and run options where you can kill it into the hill you can land it you know uh, you can land it short of the hill and let it run all the way up you can putt it like the thing that makes this hole you know so much better and this is where this is this is kind of a point of the first part of the pod that i made is that you know, Scottish architecture, you know, they have this, this hole in the eighth of Sweeten's Cove are very similar. But just because of the the turf conditions and the climate, you know, in the place they are, the hole here works so much better because it it allows for recovery and really fun recovery around the greens. Like if you catch Sweeten's Cove on a perfect day where it's firm and fast and bouncy, sure, you have more of these options to play but for the most part it's 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 not in a position to ever play that way that North Barrick plays on an everyday basis okay so we've gone long on North Barrick here can I just put the 18th is awesome it's just like the perfect hole to end a match like and this is a spirit like if that hole was in America where stroke play is the dominant form of the game that hole would have been changed it would be everybody be like it's a par through it's a glorified par three but when all you do is play match play. Then the 18th is a perfect, perfect hole because it's like you have to, you can take it on the green. You got the car, the, the parking lot of cars on the right that you're terrified of putting something through a window. I, I believe that North Barrett covers all, all car damage. Oh, wow. I'm not positive. That's uh, that's that's just uh, I I believe I I believe that's that's uh, true. I should have verified that before this recording. But and if you you can play left, it's it's got some similarities to 18 at, at the old course, where you can kind of play left and it's a pretty easy pitch. But you're taking the opportunity for two out of out of play, right? I played it just left and it was just like a real simple up and down for three. But you're taking two off the board. So my last question is, what do you think is the weakest hole at North Barrick? And try to be as as brief and definitive as you possibly can be. Because you, you said that was the big debate. I think probably a lot of people, my understanding would be most people would choose the 18th, but you've just said that's a great match play hole. So what is, what is the weakest hole there, do you think? I'll go with seven. I really like it still. Like, again, this is why it's a great question. The seventh... Uh, it's like a it's a shortish par four, but it's got a burn that goes right. Uh, the name of the hole is Eli Burn, the burn that cuts right across the front of the green, and you're kind of hitting like a whatever you want off the tee, and then it's a wedge shot to the screen. The green is spectacular. Like I, I almost like 
I'm mad at myself for picking this hole because how great the green is. But I think the 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 burn it makes it the one it makes it almost like an American aerial style wedge shot hole. It's like the only but at the same time having one of those is okay. I will go with the 7th. I'm not happy with it. This is I think the other like I I want to go with maybe 8 2 but the green, the green's really subtle and toned down there, but I love how toned down it is. Like given, you know, you play a lot of like really cool greens going out, like that have a lot going on, and then you get to the the eighth, and and it's kind of just sits on the ground really subtly, and and and. But yeah, I'm going with the seventh. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast is brought to you by USGA memberships. We all know the USGA for things like championships, rules, and handicapping, but they are also a big investor in golf's future. They do this through a variety of programs. These programs include helping golf courses manage water, fuel, and resources, expanding junior golf, and making sure that all races, genders, and ages have access to golf and feel welcome to play. All of the work that the USGA does wouldn't be possible without the support of USGA members. When you join the USGA, you not only leave a positive impact on the game you love, but you also get great benefits. Benefits like a members-only hat, a rule book, and a subscription to the Golf Journal. Visit usga.org join and become a member today. All right, back to the episode. All right, moving on to the old course. You had an interesting first experience at the old course. You just sort of showed up. And you got to walk the course. Nobody was playing it, right? This was yeah. So it was, no, people were playing it. Kevin Na was out there by himself, the Ironhead captain. Oh wow, okay, yeah. Not <laughs> not not playing with his uh, teammates. Team, it was surprising yeah. not to see him with his. You know, you would have thought he would have gotten his whole team for a bonding, but he wasn't. You know, I think most of his team didn't qualify. So you know, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. uh, so it was Sunday. It was Sunday night. We had played. Uh, we had played in Golan that morning. We played Golan two, and we took a cab. and And as we started to do the math, it was like, oh, like we're gonna get there around five thirty. We could check in and then run over the course, get our media credentials. So this was bef- the Sunday before the Open Championship, and there should be time. And they they allow you to just go out and walk the course, just like they allow people to go play practice rounds. So. It was neat. You know, we checked into our place. We walked through town. We ran into a couple of people on the way, got the media credentials. And like you hit it, you're hitting the old course at exactly the time you would want to walk the old course for the first time. As the sun was going down, the only thing that was a bummer was that there were grandstands up. So it like limited the obscure the obscurity of it, like the disorientation and blindness of it, because there's a tower that says two that, you know, it. that's where the green is when you stand on the T. Yeah. So it gives people an extra aiming point. In other words, yes. that's, that's one of the most disorienting things to people that they often say about, especially the front nine where you're not facing the town that you just don't have any points of reference for where to aim, especially off the T. Yeah, it's where I think like playing a tournament at the old course is easier because of those grandstands and TV towers that give you aiming points that get, that make it feel normal. I think the course would play more difficult if there were no, was no towers or anything. I think that because that 
that's disorientation is definitely something that you have to deal with. And there, there being no, no aiming points. You heard players talk about that with uh, Aaron Hills, one of their struggles with it, like Jason day, I, who at the time was one of the best players in the world talked about like how he just didn't know where to aim at, you know, uh, off the tee at a lot of those play at a lot of, uh, on a lot of those holes, similar, like having played it later, like, so many times it was just like hit it at the tower, hit it at the tower, hit it at the tower, which when those are removed, there's nothing to aim at. It's like hit it over a bush is a lot harder than hit it at a tower where you know <laughs> the green sitting right in front of. Um, so anyways, we we get out there and it's like a perfect day, like the sun's out, which like at the end of a day, walking the old course at the end of the day of a sunny day is where or early in the morning or sunny early morning you're going to learn the most because and it was a really sunny week so we did this a lot because we stayed on the course we stayed on the dorm and like we'd walk out of our dorm or walk you know out of the media center and be like well why don't we walk down the course to to home as, as sun's coming down and like the contours which is what makes I think it's why this course doesn't show great on TV is that it's they're they're playing in the middle of the day. Oftentimes it's cloudy, and the TV camera angles do not capture the immense contours on the ground there. But if you go out there at seven p.m., these con the shade the the you know just the shading from the contours it just gives you an added appreciation. I think in Evan Priest's Chasing Majors podcast with Steve Williams. He said that any caddy worth their salt spends the majority of their time at the old course early in the morning and late at night when those contours are popping because you that's when you really learn how the ball interacts because you can see exactly how the course interacts with the ground. And that's the most important thing out there. So that was it was awesome. Walking out, you know, it's funny. I I was a little worried, like, you know, you, you, I haven't seen it. Everybody's built this thing up and like, you worry, like, am I going to get a lot out of this? Like, is this going to be like, am I just not going to get it? Like what happens, you know? Or am I, am I too familiar with this already? Yeah. Will this course like not have the capacity to, to surprise me or, or delight me because, you know, this is one of the most familiar courses in the world. And you you listen to like we did the podcast about the first time of the old course and like almost everybody had like an early life experience at the old course that we talked to, whether it's Gil or Tom or Michael Clayton or Zach or, you know, and and most people that's like an early and it's like I'm going at age 36. You're in your twilight years. Yeah, I'm I'm all I've seen a ton of stuff (laughs) like, you know, it's not like I'm not like a, a naive first time person, but Immediately, I stood on the first tee, and I looked. And you're looking out, and like the first hole, it's really a flat hole, right? But I immediately looked. The thing that drew my eye immediately was the 17th green and how that hole would play. The reverse hole. The reverse hole. It's funny. It's just like that was like the first thing that like my eye, my eye didn't draw to the first green. It drew to the 17th green. And you start to go around that golf course, and when you understand its reversible root uh, uh, roots, 
not root as in like routing, but like reversible tree it's roots. Reverse, the reversible path through the course. No, no, I'm saying I'm saying the roots of it, the the early oh, origins. Oh, the origins of it yes. you're talking about. Okay. So the reversible <laughs> origins of, of the golf course, you start to realize like certain holes are significantly better the other way. You know, like 12 is an example of a hole that I think like is pretty silly the way they play it. Like, you know, I look at it from like a, I don't know where a 15 handicap hits the ball on that hole. Because <laughs> there are bunkers all through the fairway and you can't see them from the tee that they play now. And for better players, they can just blast it right up there. And we saw that all week at the tournament. Like, and I, you know, if if the ball gets rolled back to a significant amount to where that's not like a play for everybody you know i'm I'm, you know like it just like with the speed of the turf out there that's another thing is like the turf is so fast it's just it's so firm it's so fast i picked up a ball on the 17th hole you know i didn't have one which was a big mistake I, i picked up a ball off the 17th tee on the second hole and like you know, I threw the ball out there on the second hole. It just, the way the ball rolls and the speed of it was so crazy. And, and that's what also makes those contours. And I think like, so after the first hole, you go out there and the second hole is the introduction to like the crazy contour. And it's not big. It's not like that dramatic stuff that you would see at a sand hills or a abandoned dunes, you know, uh, or, or Pacific Dunes, really. It's more of the small stuff that you'd see in the bowl of Old Mac, right? Where it's this, like, as Gil called it, human size. So it's, you know, it's 10-foot contour on really flat ground. You know, there's not, like, hills you're going over. The land's flat, but then there are these 10-foot, like, sand dune things that you can tell that the wind just blew these dunes into these crazy little formations. And the second hole was the introduction to that. That's like the big thing is like, oh, wow, look at this. Look at this ground that you have to traverse. It's it's flat, but it's not flat at all, if that makes sense. It, 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 there's not elevation change. There's contour. Yes. Yeah, there's undulation. Those are the terms that you would use for it as opposed to big elevation changes because you're staying more or less at the same level throughout the course, but there's, there's ripples in the land, which, you know, for a game that's played on the ground, that's, that's what's really relevant. It made me think of like waves in a way. And these are like the waves are like the fronts. So you have a ton of false fronts at St. Andrews at the old course. And this is where I really thought of the way of a wave, right? So if you think about the way a wave works, right? I think so often architects build fronts and it's like, here's this false front and then it's flat over the false front. What makes sand and the old course and the front so difficult to deal with is that they have the back build of a wave where it has a, a, a slope off the back. So you get up over the front and then it cascades downhill like a wave would, right? If you think about it the way a wave construction is, it goes up, but then on the backside, there's a slope also. And that's, and I think that the contours in the fairway are very wavy too. Like, you know, and that's the way, if you think about, if you go walk a beach 
It's the way a sand that sand structures get blown, right? They have this this There's a direction of the wind. Yep, and there's a build up and then there's a backside to it. Yes. So it's very a natural natural looking contour. And that's one of the things is they have these huge contours, but you know that they weren't built contours. Right. So uh you know, we we've talked about characteristics of the old course before on the pod. We've talked about individual holes. I think we went pretty deep on the loop last time, the 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 sequence of holes that's farthest from where you start on the course that's out out toward the estuary. But I want you to choose one hole on the outward path of the golf course and one hole on the inward path of the golf course that you think are underappreciated. Underappreciated. Might be easier for the front nine, but uh, back nine, I'd be curious to to hear what you would choose for that as well, because those holes are really well appreciated. But why don't, why don't we start with the front nine, outward path of the golf course? What do you think is an underappreciated hole and why? Hmm. Uh, underappreciated hole, I think you would go, with, I'd go with the third. And, it, you know, it, again, like early in the round, it's easy to lose. Like you just said, the back nine so appreciated. It's easy to like lose, you know, kind of uh, you forget about the early holes. And that hole, it's just all about the contours, right? Like it has incredible fairway, incredible fairway complex. And then that bleeds right into the green. Like just the entire body of work, how all the land works together with the green is like that's a, a tremendous golf hole. Cool. You know what I love as far as early holes are concerned is that hump in front of the fourth green. Oh yeah. I think that's so brilliant. Oh god, that is a great hole. You know, Bill Bill Core loves imitating that that kind of green design. It, you see it on on a few of his courses, but I just wish they had a way to show that a little better on the telecast because when you look at it from the ground, the approach angle on that on that hole, that hump just sticks right out of the ground in front of the green and it's it's just such a fun simple little feature. I think I mean the the thing is they they I was really hoping they were going to put the pin there, but I think they were like they were you could tell they were really trying to protect against like an all out assault. Yeah. And they put them in all these tough places like that isn't the hardest place to get to because like those back ones are really tough to get to. But that front one is maybe the most interesting one to put it because then it really rewards players that play up the right. On the, I think the fourth hole is a super underappreciated hole in general. Uh, I like how it narrows a ton if you want to push it up, if you want to try. It's a longer par four. If you want to try and get a, a short iron in, you're going to have to thread the needle but then if you lay, uh, like you saw, I think it was, uh, God, who was it? Scheffler. In the third round, the pin was way to the left. The only way you could get to it is from the right side of the fairway. He actually hit, he laid back to ensure that he had the, it seemed like, to. I, I meant to ask him, but I wasn't in there when he finished. But he laid back and then hit a longer approach. He had a great look. I don't think he made birdie. But like he was one of the few players, like Rory made a huge putt there for birdie, but he was one of the few players that had like a real look at birdie because he actually played up the right and took a longer approach, which allowed him to bounce it up the slope there. Um, that uh, that hole is really great. Yeah, fourth is cool. Um, all right, back nine. I like 16. I wish I'd love to see 16 fully 
back to where there's more short grass. Uh-huh. Yeah, they got to clear that stuff out on the left because, you know, the, the principal's nose bunker complex there in the fairway is meant to be center line. Now it is left side. And so the safe line is out to the left of those bunkers. And that is completely covered in rough, so it's not an option. And so the hole has become a lot more one-dimensional because of that. I get why they've put the rough out there, protecting par, and also it's probably not practical to have people playing out left on that hole into other groups that are playing the course. But still, it's just, it, it, it was you know it's one of the great hole designs, and and it's really been tamped down by by that rough that's out there now. Yeah, and and the same reason that I really love that that third hole is that this goes over like the greatest ground at the old course. And a lot of that ground, that great ground is buried in the rough. That being said, it's still such a great hole. Like if that pin the thing that is neat about that hole is the dynamics of like if the pin's on the right, you would want to be left and if the pin's on the left, you have to be right along the OB line. Yeah, very cool. All right. Well, why don't we move on from the old course? There's been plenty of discussion of it uh, before, and we need to get to Dunbar and Kill Spindy, two more humble courses, certainly. Why don't we start with Dunbar? Uh, this is another course that just kind of evolved. The The club has been around for a long time. There was, I believe, a 15-hole course that was laid out in 1856, Old Tom Morris came in and made some changes in the 1890s. Uh, Ben Sayers and James Braid did some work in the 1920s. So again, one of these courses that was established early on, but really changed and, and moved with changes in golf history, but more or less has stayed constant, I think, maybe not constant, but has has stayed, has kept its form since, you know, the early 20th century. So just give me an overview of this course. What What's the routing like? What's the land like? Where does it start? Where does it go? Where does it finish? Yeah, real quick, Dunbar isn't added on a ton of itineraries and should. It's a little past North Berwick, which is like, it's kind of just like, that's usually the furthest people go. And it's like, go 15 minutes further and go see, or 20 minutes further and go see this course. So anyways, the routing is really neat. The centerpiece of the course really is this wall. Another wall. Yeah, it's a bigger wall though. It's a big wall that's got like a like a opening, like a doorway opening. And you start the round on the inside of the wall and you play and this will change. They're building a short course and they're going to reroute the course where they're going to, you know, one will now be 18. I'm not sure how I feel about it to be completely honest. But um the the first hole is is a par five. You, so you play par five, par five, par three, and the par three gives you you're teeing up on a high hill and you're looking right at the ocean, the sea. I guess ocean sea. I don't think there's really a difference. But anyways, you're looking right at the sea. You see where you're going, right? You can see from there everything and kind of how the course is laying out. And it's a really cool par three, downhill par three. And then, and th- this important note here. Like for all the detractors of these holes, it 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 might be the best linksland. Like it's a really firm. There's two pockets of really sandy linksland, and it's at the at the start and end of the course, and then at the like far reaching points of the course. In between, you're kind of playing on rock, I think. So it's you know it's not as like firm and rumpled. It's more flat 
and coastal, if that makes sense. So then after the third, you walk through this bigger wall and it's like a gateway to the to the sea. So you walk out and you're right on the ocean playing the fourth. It's just like it's a I've seen people say that that's where the course should start. I I like couldn't disagree more. Playing a few holes inside the wall and then getting that experience of okay, now we're moving to another part of the golf course. I think is fundamental for the experience of the golf course. It would be really weird if it started there because this is right next to the clubhouse. It's it would be so weird if the golf course started there and then you ended with four holes inside the wall. Like it it has to start inside the wall and end inside the wall because it it's like your departure from like the town and the clubhouse, really. You get on the other side of the wall, and then it's just really neat golf. You're playing along the coast effectively for the next all the way through 17. So on along, you know, on the outward part, you're dealing with the wall. And it's really flat for the for a few stretch uh, stretch of holes. So four, five, six are pretty flat holes. And then you get to seven and you start to get a little rumple and a and a you know, it starts to become more linksland. But what you're doing, you're playing the walls along the right side. So that's kind of your boundary and everything relates that way. It's like great boundary golf. And then on the back nine, you come back along the coast and it's like spectacular. It is it is some of the best golf that we played, especially when you get out to the like 10, 11, 12, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 at Dunbar is truly a great stretch of golf. It's right on the coast. And it's like, you know, you, you're out there. I think it's 120 pounds on the weekend, I believe, is the rate. And all I could think about is like in America, this is $400 course, $500 course. You know, this is uh this is a place that you should see. It's got it just the the property it occupies is is you know one of the most stunning ones that we played. And and do you think that it would be a four hundred dollar course because of those seaside holes? Yeah, and like one of the things like if if you cut the course and it and it started at like hole six, if you play if you went six through fourteen. Roughly or seven, seven, really seven through four, seven through 14. You made it like a seven through 15, a nine hole course. Be like maybe the greatest nine hole course in the world. Like it, I mean, they're the nine hole stretch. Like the, and this is not to poo poo the other holes or say there are some really good holes in there, but that stretch really seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 is extraordinary. But you don't wish that it was a nine-hole course. No, I mean, part of me thinks it would be like great as like you. Nobody would ever skip it. Well, that's interesting because yeah, if it were just those nine holes, maybe it would get more attention. Maybe I don't know. That's like a, it's a good question. You don't know, right? Um, because then people might not go to it because it's like, wait, we have to drive thirty minutes out of our way to play nine. But like the thing. It's it's really good. The golf's really good. And it, but it also like I always think about courses with songs. Uh-huh. And it kind of fits like your song idea, right? 
Yeah. You mean the start, middle, and finish kind of Yeah. Idea. How many great songs end with like the best part of the song at the finish? There's a few, but not many. Like a lot of the best songs have the rise in the middle when you're rocking out is right in the middle. And that's what this course does really well is right in the middle of it. You're just like, holy shit, this is awesome. You know, you get out on the ninth, the ninth hole is one of the most spectacular par fives I've ever played. And it's because it's got like a rare, you know, I think in Scotland, a lot of the contours are a little bit more subdued. This one, there's nothing subdued about this hole. You are playing up over a massive hill to get to this top landing area. And then you've got this spectacular view down to the green. It's a really long par five and it plays down to this, you know, you get to, it almost, it gets you from like this tight area to this expansive part of the golf course, like really nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and eight are, are in a much more expansive part of the property, but you don't feel it until you get up to nine fairway. And then you're looking down, you know, downhill at this great green and, and what's kind of ahead. And it, you see this great beach and coastal frontage of Dunbar out there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is, uh, that the golf course, you got to go see it. It's, it's a, it, it's one of those, like, this is one of the big reasons why you should, if you're planning on multiple trips, we talked about this in the last episode. If you're planning on multiple trips, you should center on areas because this is a golf course that like you should absolutely see. And if you're busy running around the country to get all over the place to see like the open road of courses, this is one you won't see and you'll miss out by not seeing it. Hey, Real quick, we played with Paul Armour, the the course manager at Dunbar. Shout out, Paul. Fantastic guy. We were out there. He, you know, we, ne- we rarely got good food because it was like by the time we finished, we were flying the drone at night, and we rarely got good food. Cameron uh, heard us, who was our driver. Uh, he's also a, <laughs> he's our, video- also our, the, our the videographer. Filmmaker. Yeah, and, exactly. yeah. So he was busy. Paul like drove Brendan into town, got a, got us food. And it was like, Aww. it was like, it, well, it was just, it was the, the last round of golf that we played. So I, you know, everybody's beat, you know, we're, we're struggling to make swings at this point. We're so tired and the golf course really breathed life into us and, you know, it was like just the perfect way for the trip to end is that we were eating pizza on the back of Paul's pickup truck as the sun went down at Dunbar. Like it was just, it was an awesome night. And uh, yeah, just like a, that, that was, a, it was a thrilling, that golf course was a thrilling way to end the trip. Very cool. Maybe, maybe we should have talked about it last, but we're going to go, we're going to go back on your itinerary during the trip. Was Kill Spindy second to last? Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, like, <laughs> This is a it's a funny, funny kind of uh, situation, right? So David Jones, UK golf guy, helped us a ton, and we're a disorganized group, and he kind of set stuff up for us. And uh, he pulled it together at at the last minute. This was not a, a trip that was planned far in advance, and uh, David came in and and cleaned some things up. Well, yeah, he just he just did things that, you know, I I I'm not necessarily the best person to do and and we had a lot of things going on. But he set up golf at Kill Spindy. So this is the last day of the trip. I mean, we had just done North Berwick and old the old course double. We got home at like midnight from the old course, maybe later. 
I mean, and we were up at four in the morning to shoot the North Barrack. Like we were just completely exhausted. So three, four hours of sleep. Tank is completely empty, and and this day of golf is like, hey, you need to wake up. You need to go to the Hick- Boris's Hickory Shop, and like everything we had heard about Boris was he's just like this interesting character, and only two of you can play because Boris and his friend Gordon are playing. And, uh, you know, like Boris says, Gordon plays or, or he doesn't play. And I, in my head, I'm like, well, I just don't even want to play with Boris. I'd rather play with the three of us, like, and, and not, but, but then you meet Boris and, and, and Gordon alike. Gordon's great. Gordon plays with Boris all the time. And Boris was the showman and just an absurd competitor. But Boris only plays hickory golf. He owns the hickory shop in town. It's never open because he's always playing golf. He's like, <laughs> so Boris is just absurd. He dresses like in the old adage of hickory. Like he's like a classic hickory guy. He's got the got the old school hat, the old school outfit. Plus fours and all that kind of thing. Yeah, he can really play, but we're going out and it's like, you know, we're this absurd thing of like, go meet Boris at a shop. Then like Brendan's not playing because he's like, I I would rather sit out and walk. And and so like, you know, there's all these things and we're just dead tired. But then like this first sack, like the the first shot with Hickory, I hit a Hickory for the first like I use Hickory drivers, you know. But I hit like like I got full blown hickories playing kill spindies, which is like fifty six hundred yards. The first hole hitting the hickory, I'm like, all right, this is gonna be fun, and it like was one of the most fun, probably the most maybe the most fun round of the whole trip was playing hickory golf at kill spindy. Golf has become like especially for better players, you you can overpower golf courses. Hickory's really, unless you hit an absolutely perfect shot, it's super hard to spin the ball and you can't overpower courses. And the thing that the resounding, like Cameron and I played, the thing that stuck with me more than anything is just how formidable bunkers are when you play Hickory's and how different the game is. The game is insanely different and it's absolutely worth playing. Like I want to play Hickory golf more now because of the way you have to think about what you're doing. And it there's like, as someone who thinks a lot about golf courses, how strategy works when, when you have hickories in your hand, it's not like, Oh, it's romantic to think about how this golf hole and the strategy works, you know, but I can hit a wedge and then stop it from this bad angle. It's like, Oh no. Like if you hit it over there, like you're going to have to play short, right. Or else, you, you know, you will not hit the green. So like the, the thing that kill spindy offers and, and really why I would go play kill spindy is to play with hickories and to experience a 5,600-yard course that is extremely not taxing on your legs in a trip that's going to be filled with, like, long days playing golf. You get around it in two hours, two and a half hours, two hours and 45 minutes because how short it is, how quick people play. And you can play a variety of golf that will deeply enhance your appreciation for golf courses and design because what happens is that all the bunkers are relevant. Everything makes sense. Playing away from uh, the clip, uh, uh, away from the sea is going to yield you with a shot that you probably have to lay up short of the green if you want to make a par or not have a really tough up and down. I mean, it it is such a fun form of the game, and um, I 
I want to play more Hickory Golf because of Kill Spindy. And I think that one thing that probably makes Kill Spindy a good place to play Hickory Golf is that, as you said, it's it's not a long golf course. But it's one of these golf courses that hasn't changed much over the years. It was The course was essentially established in the late 1890s. And I don't think that they've done major work there. So it's basically the same course that's been there for over a century. And so it kind of makes sense to use the equipment that this course was built to accommodate. Yeah. And I think like an important thing with with golf courses and, and on these trips is is planning out what courses fit into 36 whole days. Those are going to be the most taxing days. Yeah, yeah. And like, I would really not recommend doing North Barrick and the old course in the same day. <laughs> well, you have that drive too. Like the drive is substantial. Sure. Like I, you know, I can say that I, I played two of the 15 best courses in the world in the same day. And, oh, that's great and all. But it was, uh, it had a long drive and it was like, uh, you know, the next day I felt like crap because of it. You know, because it was just a long, long day. Kilsmendi is a wonderful 36-hole course because it's short and it's it's fast and it allows you with some time to, like, decompress before you go back out and play another round. You know, it. so I would, like, when you're building out days, like, you wouldn't want to play, like, you know, in Muirfield, like you play 36 on visitor days, like, so that doesn't count. But I wouldn't want to play Golan one and and North Barrick on the same day. You know, I'd rather play like Golan one and kill Spindy in the same day and maybe like Golan two and North Barrick on the same day because like or and and uh, Dunbar on the same day because or Golan like, three, Golan three is a is a shorter course, right? Yeah, so like uh, Luffness, like it, I didn't, we didn't play it, but it traverses really mellow ground. That's a good thirty six hole day course. Like, think about like, hey, how am I going to keep my body and like, because that's so important on these trips is like, you know, you don't want to be tired because that's when people's moods damper and you don't have like good day, like kill Spindy. I thought with Hickory is like it, it just provided variety. It was a different day. It was it was so it was so fun. And then the reality of like teeing off at 10. I think we teed off at 10. We were done at like at, at one. We we had a drink. We had a, a, a beer after and we were the day was over at one there. And it was like, oh, we're not playing till four at Dunbar. Great. Like what a what perfect timing, you know? So we had we had time to go and that was the day we stopped and went to the lobster shack in North Barrick and got like, you know, it just made the day a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of pull some threads together from these two podcasts that we've done, it seems like your central advice for planning a trip to Scotland would be one based on the idea that you're going to do multiple trips to Scotland, because you can kind of understand that if somebody is saying, I'm just going to go to this country one time in my life, that they would want to travel around a little bit and hit some of the bucket list courses. But the ideal situation is that you're planning to go there a couple of times in your life. And it seems like your advice would be situate yourself in a town or in an area with a lot of different golf courses and if you're going to play 36 whole days, plan it out so that you're not pressing yourself to the brink to finish these courses. There are some big courses. There's big golf in Scotland and there's little golf in Scotland. 
and you need to know which courses are big and little kill spendy is a little course that doesn't mean that it's not worth visiting or that it's not going to be a great experience it just means that you can make it part of your itinerary and part of an overall pleasurable experience playing golf in scotland where you're not just kind of going there and and running a marathon you're really having fun and sampling the different kinds of golf that Scotland has to offer. That that's what kind of the big thing I'm taking away from from what you're saying here. Yeah, and like Kill Spendy, I I don't want to shortchange the golf course. Like the golf course is really really good. It's a Willie Park Junior Ben Sayers golf course. These are these are legitimate designers, you know. So we talked about the pit hole in this episode. Cameron and I kind of both agreed that the 17th hole was a better wall, a short par four wall hole than the pit hole at Kill Spendy. It's just like, it's a cool, I thought it was a cooler hole. The wall kind of breaks down and it it's opener in the front, but you have these buildup. It's like kind of like half down. You have like the, it's like a, a, a broken down wall with still rubble and it obscures your view from the right, but also provides like a pitch away. So it runs away. I mean, you could make the argument that the 17th hole is a better wall hole than the pit hole at North Berwick. And that would drive all the influencers crazy, but (laughs) all the influencers don't go to, to kill Spindy. Well, maybe the influencers are going to start going there now. Yeah. Because because you went there and and you are an influencer, are you no, not? No, I'm not an influencer. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Any any other things to say uh, by way of wrapping up? What, what what do you want to do? What does it make you want to do next in terms of kind of big golf travel? Oh, well, I can't wait to go back. You know, there's a bunch of areas. Like I mean, there's England. There's there's um, Ireland. But, you know, I, there's a bunch of areas of, of Scotland, like the Highlands, the, um, the Fife area. I think like the Fife area, we hit uh, old, the old course in, in Ely. But, you know, and I, you know, frankly, I want to see Loughness. Like the, the hard thing is I want to see all of these places again, but I do want to go uh, see some new spots. Uh, and, and then obviously the west side of, of Scotland. That's uh, everybody's telling me that's, that's the best. But, you know, I think, um, you know, we're going to work our way around the country uh, and I can't wait to get back there. You know, thanks to Zero Restriction for getting us out there, you know, being part of getting us out there. But yeah, I mean, like ideally covering the 150th Open at St. Andrews was great, but I think about how cool it would have been to be there for 13 days without having a week allocated to to watching vapid money hungry professional golfers uh um you know uh rumor rumor about live and and play for the open championship which was one of the best tournaments i've seen but the the entire lead up centered around live and and you know that that's when we found out cameron smith the the newly crowned open champion was going to live so you know that you know i think about i i that's I'm looking forward to exploring Scotland and then also the other British Isles um, uh, much more detail in the in the coming years. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast was edited by me and Meg Atkins. If you'd like to keep up with the blog posts that Andy is writing about his trip to Scotland, where he's going more in depth about all the courses that we talked about here, 
I'd recommend subscribing to the Fried Egg newsletter. Whenever Andy writes a new post, we'll publish an excerpt there. The newsletter comes three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and has all sorts of fun writing in it, if I may say so myself. To subscribe for free, go to thefriedegg.com and click subscribe. All right. Thanks for listening.